Hello, welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series 7, The Root Vices. This series looks at the seven root vices from which other sins grow and identifies ways we can cut the root vices and become more like Jesus. Today I'm going to be uh, teaching our text is going to be Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Proverbs 14.30, all the scriptures I'm going to use today are out of the New International Version. And again, you can follow along on your screen or in your Bibles. So hear now the word of the living, sovereign God. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. There's a really great movie uh, named Amadeus. It is the story of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And in this fictional retelling, it's not a historical account. They've actually taken some pretty big liberties. But they're retelling the story of Mozart through Antonio Salieri, who was actually a contemporary composer with Mozart. They both lived in Vienna, and Salieri was one of the main composers prior to Mozart coming to Vienna, but he knew all about who Mozart was. In fact, he'd been hearing about Mozart since he was a child. He had first seen him play as a child and knew that he was this great prodigy. But in the movie Amadeus, Salieri is shown to be full of envy regarding Mozart. In fact, the beginning of the movie, right near the beginning, is the end of Salieri's life, and he is, has a priest in there with him, and the priest tells him, you can, you can open up to me, my son, because we are all equal in the eyes of God. And Salieri, with great venom in his voice, says, are we? And he says, well, let me, I'm, he said, did you ever listen to music? And the priest said, well, I was trained in music when I was younger. Salieri says, well, let me play you some of my tunes. He starts playing something, and the priest says, I don't recognize that. And he says, really? This, this was the most popular song of his day. Let me play you another one. He plays it, and the priest starts looking a little uncomfortable and says, I don't know that one. So he says, let me, let me play you another one, and he plays some more. The priest says, I'm really sorry. I, I don't recognize any of those. And he says, oh, here's one. Let me play this. And he starts playing it, and the priest's face lights up, and he starts humming along and saying, that's a wonderful tune. I didn't know you wrote that. He said, I didn't. Mozart did. And Salieri is angry and venomous because the movie then goes into flashbacks, and the first time he actually meets Mozart, he finds out that Mozart, while an incredible musical genius, whose middle name, Amadeus, means loved by God, Mozart is immoral, ridiculous, pompous. He's a buffoon and has musical talent that Salieri can only dream of. And so Salieri, as he goes along, he's getting angrier and angrier with God because he's saying, my entire life I just wanted to make music for God. I wanted to help people worship God by me writing great music and pointing them to God. But I can't begin to do what Mozart does. Why would you bless this man? And, and in one scene, Salieri speaks directly to God, and he says this. From now on, we are enemies, you and I. Because you choose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy. 
and give me for a reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation. Because you are unjust, unfair, unkind, I will block you. I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature on earth as far as I am able. And he spends the rest of his life trying to bring Mozart down, and he ultimately, in this fictional account, is implicated in driving Mozart to ruin and death. And then you see him years later, and he is still envious of Mozart. To his last days, he is eaten up with envy. So we want to ask ourselves today, what is envy? This movie that I actually would recommend, highly recommend the movie to watch, it's a great picture of envy. If you've never seen it, watch the movie and you will see envy on the screen. But what is it? How does it work in our lives? And again, what are the virtues? It's not enough to put off the evil. We have to put on the virtue. What are the virtues that encourage it? And those practices that help us cut the root of envy and see it replaced with the virtues. So let's dive in and talk about the root vice of envy. Notice in our text today, Proverbs 14.30, we're told a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bone. So once again, in parallelism, remember in Hebrew poetry, their common thing is not rhyme. They tell you a statement, A, and then they have another statement. They say, and what's more, B? Let me, let me kind of tease that out and define it. And so here we're told that a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bone. So envy is the opposite of a heart at peace. A heart at peace is one that is accepting of who it is and who God has made it and how God is running the universe. It's shalom. Things are right. Envy is the opposite of that. And a heart at peace is life to the body. Everything seems good. Envy, on the other hand, what an amazing phrase. It rots the bone. I mean, that is a descriptive phrase. If your bones were rotting away, there would be nothing worse. Everything would be unstable. Everything would be painful. Everything would be difficult. So the writer is, in a very picturesque manner, saying envy is something that just eats you from the inside out. In fact, St. John Chrysostom, one of the great early church fathers who lived around 400, said this, as a moth gnaws a garment... So envy consumes a man. Chrysostom says, look, envy eats you away. The longer it's there, the more it eats you. The more you become a shell of a person until almost like the holes just show up in you and everyone can see. Joseph Epstein, who's a modern writer who's written on the seven deadly sins, said this, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. Now get what he's saying. At least with the others, though they're destructive, for the moment they seem pleasurable. The end result is destruction. But for the moment there at least seems to be something good. This guy says envy's not even any good at the moment. The moment you're experiencing envy, there's no pleasure. There's just emptiness. It's just eating away at you right from the beginning. And that's actually true. There is nothing pleasurable about envy. 
And yet, and yet, we are all tempted to it. I, I saw a thing yesterday and I, uh, a, a feed I get, and somebody said, you know, the question was, have you ever committed one of the seven deadly sins? And somebody wrote back to one of them, and I, I laughed and said, yeah, if you're reading this, you've committed all of the seven <laughs> sins. So it's a silly question. Everybody's done all of them, and that includes envy, even though it's no fun at all. So what is envy? Why, why are we susceptible to it? I'm going to give a definition here. And remember, as Stephanie has given us this excellent graphic that shows all of these vices grow out of a disordered love, where our love is pointed towards something that's wrong rather than towards God. So what is envy? Envy is a disordered love that is dissatisfied with the lack or the perceived insufficient measure of gifts and vocations or callings given by God and which resents another person for the presence or greater measure of those same gifts. So notice, before I turn to the other person, first it's about me and God. Sin always is. Sin always is. It's always a disordered love. And so let's unpack this definition. First, envy's a disordered love that's dissatisfied with the lack or perceived insufficient measure of gifts and vocations given by God. Envy begins with a dissatisfaction with the gifts and callings God has given to me. God has given every human being gifts and callings, all of us. If you're sitting here today, there are a variety of gifts God has given to you, and there's a whole variety of callings. Okay, Tony and Bobby were just ordained as elders, but that's not that they got the call. Sometimes, especially people who preach for a living like to say, I, I remember when I got the call, as if there's only one call. There's not. There's many callings. I have a calling to be an elder. I have a calling to be a husband, a father, a grandfather, a citizen, a neighbor. There's all kinds of callings I have. And in those, God gives gifts. But envy begins with a dissatisfaction saying either, I don't want the callings I've got, I want that calling. Or even if I like the calling, I like the gifts I've got, but I would like more of the gift. You didn't, you didn't gift me well enough, God. And so there's a modern confessional manual to help people pray through the seven sins. It's called Augustine's prayer book, but it's not from the St. Augustine. It's a more modern one. But they define the first part of their definition of envy is it's a dissatisfaction with our place in God's order of creation. First, it's about me and God. And I'm not happy with where God has placed me and what he's calling me in the way that he has gifted me. Now, it may be, if you notice here, what we've got is the lack or perceived insufficient measure of gifts and vocations given by God. So I may not have been given a particular gift or calling at all, and that upsets me, or it may be that I got it, but it's not as good as I would like it to be, okay? I, I want more. See, that was Salieri actually did have a gift at music. He was quite good uh, at music, but he wasn't as good as he wanted to be. He wanted to be the best, which is a little bit of pride coming in, what we looked at last week, because these vices work together. He wanted to be the best at it, and he wasn't the best. But he did have a great gift, but not as great as he wanted. And often, what really gets us in envy, and this is going to lead us into the second point, is when someone else has been given the same gifts and callings we have, but in an obviously greater measure. So see, 
I don't have the gift to be an opera singer. And there is no temptation for me in that, to envy. It's just not a gift I've got. But if I see somebody's got the same gifts I have, but they've got them better than I do, that starts to be a problem. But what it's revealing is, it was already a problem before that. Because I wanted God to order the world differently and to put me in a different place within it. And so that leads to the second part of it. And if you notice here, Beth, if you can go to the next screen, and actually the next one after that, uh, where we're told, envy is a disordered love that resents another person for the presence or greater measure of those same gifts. So this is where envy is now turned from I began with a concern about God, but now I'm looking around, and you know what? That person's got the gifts that I want, the, the same gift I got, but they got a greater measure of it. You bless them more. God, they are Amadeus. They are loved by you in a manner that I don't feel like you are loving me. So that, that prayer manual, Augustine's prayer books, goes on to say, envy is a dissatisfaction with our place in God's order of creation manifested in begrudging his gifts to others. I ought to have that person's place. I ought to be getting the accolades they are getting. And when that thought starts to settle in on you and I, you can start feeling the bones rotting away because I am dissatisfied with who God has made me to be. Thomas Aquinas defined envy as sorrow at another person's good, especially when it excels your own. God has actually done good in that other person, and rather than rejoicing at the good God has done in that other person, I'm sorry about it. I am weeping with those who are rejoicing and rejoicing when they weep because I want to see them weep. I want to see them sad. That's what envy does. Now, this is what irks Salieri so much. He had the great gift of music, and he was content with that gift, he thought, until he watched Mozart. And then he looked, and he actually refers to him as the creature. And he keeps saying, the creature did this, and the creature had this gift. Why would you give it to him? And the more he thought on it, the more it sank down inside Salieri. Because envy is all about comparison with another person. And it ultimately views life as a zero-sum game. There's only so much blessing to go around, and if you gave it to them, you didn't give it to me, and the only way for me to get where I need to go is they've got to go down. They've got to be lowered so that I can get to the place that I want to be, because this is a zero-sum game, God, and ultimately it's not about what you want, God, and what the gifts and callings that you've decided to give to me and rejoicing in that. I want the gifts and callings. I want it to be the way I want it to be, and right now that means that person's got to come down. And the longer it goes, the more negative it becomes. It started with, I wanted something greater myself. Then it becomes, I'm dissatisfied with what you've given to somebody else. And then that person needs to be brought down. And it turns more and more to seeing them brought down. It's essentially a negative posture. And envy then begins to resent the other person. They've got to be brought down. So there's an old story to identify this. It's an old Jewish story fable about a couple of rabbis, and one resented and envied the other one. So an angel comes to the envier 
and says, I have good news. God has sent me here to bless you. You can ask for any blessing, and God's going to give it. There's only one other rule. Whatever you get, the guy you envy gets twice as much. So the rabbi thinks and says, okay, I want to be struck blind in one eye. That's what envy does. If the only way I can have it is he's going to get twice as much, then I want to be cursed. So he'll be doubly cursed because what really matters now is not even blessing. It's that he's in a worse place than I am. That is ultimately what envy does. This is the sad fruit of the root vice of envy. And see, the problem is, again, remember, these are root vices. Can you see that if I start to feel that way regarding another person, then it's going to lead to all kinds of other sins because God has blessed them. They, they, they are loved by God, so I've got to do something. Like Salieri said, I'm going to do everything I can to bring down your creature. I'm going to get them down. Now, the greatest biblical example I can think of regarding this is King Saul and David. And I've taught on this in the past when we were doing our Game of Thrones series, we, and we'll come back to that. But if you remember, in 1 Samuel 18 and 19, you can read all about this. And you remember, Saul is great. You remember when he was chosen? He's a head taller than everybody else in Israel. He's raised up. He didn't initially think he was anything. He was so humble. He was like, Samuel, it can't be me. But after a while, Saul starts to get full of himself. Pride starts settling in. And then, if you remember, there's the whole story where Goliath is there. And could Saul have gone out and fought Goliath? He could have. And in fact, who was the biggest, strongest, toughest dude in Israel? Saul. But where was Saul when Goliath was throwing his taunts day after day? Right? He was hiding way back in his camp, protected. And then in saunters a young teenage boy who says, I'll go fight this guy. Who does he think he is to defy the armies of the living God? And so David strides out there with nothing but his faith in God, strikes down Goliath, kills him, and Saul thinks that's wonderful until the people's heart starts turning towards David. And then we read and we see as we go through these two chapters, as David's fame grows, we're told Saul starts to keep a jealous eye, an envious eye on David. It's what sometimes later be referred to as the evil eye is associated particularly with envy. So Saul's got an evil eye on David. And one day, he, he's promoting David, and he sends him out because David's winning everything. So David's become his lead general. He's striking down all of Saul's enemies. Saul's getting all the benefit while he's sitting back in the palace, and David's doing all the work. But one day, they come back, and the, the women of Israel are singing, Saul has slain his thousands. And Saul's chest puffs out, and he's happy with the call he has. And then the song continues, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul, we're told, is galled by this. And he is envious of David. And he starts becoming obsessed with David. And we're told how he fears David. And in successive events, he tries to trick David. He tries to betray David. He even tries to have David killed by the enemy, even though that might mean trouble for Israel, because nothing matters but seeing David brought down. That's all 
that matters. And it's envy's bitter fruit at work in the heart of Saul. And if you remember at the end of his days, Saul's even reduced ultimately to seeking a witch and doing all kinds of crazy things because he is obsessed with trying to kill David. Multiple times he repents, he's been shown, but he can't get away from the fact that he is envious of where David is at. Now amazingly, we're also given the opposite picture in the same story because Saul's son is Jonathan. And the more David succeeds, the more Jonathan loves David. And he actually tells David, look, my father's upset about this, but one day you're going to be king over Israel, not me. It's not going to go from father to son. You're going to be the king, and I'm going to be there at your side, and this is going to be great. And Saul is telling Jonathan, you're a fool. But see, David's gifts and callings didn't make Jonathan envious. He rejoiced, and he said, what we need is God to bless us with the king. And we have the king. It's David. And so I rejoice in that because that is good for the people of God. But Saul says, no, it's not. What's good is if I get the gift. And if it's then passed on to my son, that's what matters. Complete opposite picture. And so I would tell you a great acid test for envy is when you see someone else blessed, are you Saul? Or are you Jonathan? If you can't be Jonathan and rejoice, watch out. Envy's at work. It's eating away. Now, envy then leads to its associated false identity. With every one of these vices, I'm showing us how it's a disordered love, but also how it causes us to put our identity somewhere else. And so what envy does is this. Envy causes me to seek to find my identity and desired gifting, and in comparing myself with others, rather than rejoicing in who God created and declares me to be in Christ. Our culture is expert at trying to find its identity anywhere and everywhere other than who God has made us to be and who God declares us to be in Christ. And so, rather than finding my identity in God, envy roots it in my gifts, or even worse, in the gifts I wish I had. And even if it's rooted in my gifts, see, what, what happens if the Lord takes away my gifts? And he could. What happens if he uses me for a season? You remember John the Baptist was tempted by this, his disciples thought it. What are we going to do? You were the most famous, popular preacher in Israel, and now this guy Jesus has showed up. Do, do you, see, he could have said, get thee behind me. Because they were tempting him to envy, but what's John's response? He's got to become greater, and I'm going to become lesser. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Because what matters is God's kingdom. But see, that only can happen if I find my identity in God. Not in my gifts, not in my callings, and certainly not in what I am lacking. What it inevitably leads to, if I'm finding it, you can tell how much you're finding your identity and your gifts and your callings and who you think you are by how often am I glancing at somebody else and looking and seeing where they're at. Have you ever seen, there have been sometimes, if you watch in races and stuff, I've seen where, you know, like two guys are racing and if one looks back, that's usually death knell and they're going to lose the race. Because you're now concerned about what they're doing rather than being concerned about the race you're running. The sideward glance is always a sure sign there's envy going on. And friends, God doesn't want us to have envy because it rots the bones. 
It's destructive. God has a way and a call that you and I are to be. And so we're always trying to find out in envy how I'm measuring up, but not measuring up to who God has called me to be, but measuring up with somebody else and what they're called to do. And that in turn then leads, if this is where your identity is found, it always leads to insecurity. Because even if I'm better than that guy, tomorrow there'll be another guy. And then another guy. There will always be somebody else. That's the nature of these root vices. It's never enough. Because we've set off in the wrong place. We're finding our identity in the wrong place. And so then when I have it, every time I see somebody else exercising those gifts, it becomes that zero-sum game. My identity is being challenged. I'm in danger. That person's got to go down because I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to win this race. That's what envy does. It truly rots the bones. Now think about just a few examples of sin. First off, envy leads to ingratitude for what we've been given by God. Because what's envy's focus? What I don't have. If I'm Salieri, I may be one of the greatest musicians in all of Vienna, possibly all of Europe. Is that enough? No. And I can't even think about that. I can no longer even have gratitude and thanks to God for giving me this great gift. All I can think about is what you didn't give me. The portion and the measure I don't have. Friends, ingratitude is a serious sin. Another way, how about as we saw with Saul, envy can lead to fear and suspicion. See, fear runs with envy. It does not run with gratitude. It does not run with love. It runs with envy. And so does suspicion. And it leads to rivalry. And it ultimately leads to hatred of the other. Salieri in the, in the movie Amadeus goes from being excited when Mozart comes to he loathes him. He hates him. Even after Mozart has been destroyed and thrown in a common grave and is long gone, he still haunts Salieri because he's still a rival. He's eaten up with it. And Salieri acted out of suspicion, rivalry, and absolute hatred. Another sin that comes up with envy, this is again how that root vice creates all the leaves and the fruit up there in the tree. What else it can do is it creates resentment. And in fact, what it can do is you start to resent people who notice the gift of God in the other person. When somebody else responds correctly and says, wow, God really blessed that person, now I not only resent the person, I resent the person who's recognizing the gift of God in them. That's what happens. It just feeds other sins. It leads oftentimes to criticism because if I've got to bring them down, what I need to start doing is whispering to you, they're not really all that that they make. I don't like the music he wrote. You know, that wasn't that good, what he did. And so I start to criticize it. Very often not even to their face, but behind their back because I'm trying to undermine them. Another sin it leads to is bitterness. Towards the other person, but you know who the bitterness is ultimately towards? That's what's so profound in Amadeus. Salieri's real war was with God. How could you have done this to me? See, the first three vices, pride and envy and wrath, 
are really about how you and I are responding to who God is and how God runs the universe. And how dare he run it differently than I think. I know what's best. And if God's going to run it in a way that I don't approve of, then God and I have a problem. And that, friends, is a problem. But that's ultimately where it leads to bitterness towards God. How could you bless that person and not bless me? And let's face it, does God sometimes bless immoral, ridiculous buffoons? He does. <laughs> you got one standing up? No, I'm not immoral at least, but I might be a buffoon. I am not immoral, or at least I'm trying not to be. But I mean, look, I tell God, you can't figure out always why God picks someone and he blesses them. He's God, and he doesn't have to answer to you and I. This is the whole struggle Job went through. And if you notice, and it's a hard thing, you get to the end of the book, and God never answers Job's question. It's just, I'm sovereign. That's the answer. I'm God, you're not. But man, we struggle with that. That is hard. Because see, this is how it works. And again, pride kind of runs through all of these because the first thing with pride is I'm convinced I am God. And I ought to be the center. And so I get envious when anybody else is getting the attention because they have the gifts that I ought to have. And if it's not rooted out, envy will produce behaviors that attempt to undermine the other person, and it can ultimately destroy an entire community. See, I mean, Saul was really willing to kill the greatest military leader Israel had ever had. And it might lead to destruction and enslavement for the people. They had spent 400 years being enslaved. We now have a leader who can win all the battles, but it doesn't matter. I would rather be enslaved. I would rather anything. I'm, I can't be that that guy's going to be the one bringing victory. But that's what envy will do. And so, sadly, if envy has its way, there's still no joy. There's just insecurity, fear about the future, and uh, attempts to justify the past action. That's what's so sad in Amadeus. At the end, as they're wheeling Salieri out, he's saying, I am the patron saint of mediocrity. I bless all of you in this insane asylum in all your mediocrity. Because that's where he's at. He is still full of loathing and fear and bitterness because envy has just consumed his soul. So how do we apply the word? What does this mean for us? I'm going to show a trio of virtues and practices. And again, you'll need to meditate on these throughout the week. I'm just going to kind of begin it, and then you can meditate this week. First uh, virtue and practice is we need to cultivate contentment. Because contentment is an opposite of envy. It means I am content with who God has made me. The Soil from which envy grows is discontentment with who God made me to be and the callings that God has given me. I'm not satisfied with who God made me to be, the level of gifting he's given, the very callings he's given to me. And when that soil is in our hearts, friends, it's going to produce envy. And so we need to begin cultivating contentment. I need to realize God has made me as I am. My gifts, my callings, my opportunities, my circumstances, and the ones I did not have. 
are for his glory and my good. Think about it. In the New Testament, you remember where Paul actually even told slaves, if you're a slave and you'd like to go off and be able to do other things, don't worry about it. You are, you are Christ's freed man even while you're that man's slave. Now, if you can get free, Paul said, get free. But if you can't, don't let the circumstances dictate your contentment. Paul, sitting in a jail cell, says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I'm content no matter what my circumstances are. That is what we are called to be. Until I can embrace and rejoice in this, whatever my circumstances, whatever my gifts, whatever my callings, I am content. Until I can embrace and rejoice in this, my heart is rich soil to nourish envy. So the first part of envy is between me and God. Do I accept who he's made me to be and what my callings are? Now, how do I cultivate contentment? What I have to practice is deep meditation on my identity in Christ. There is no shortcut to this. This requires deep meditation on who I am in Christ. Envy's roots run deep, deep into my soul. And so I have to get who I am in Christ down that deep. It's gonna require long meditation on my identity in Christ. I have to see myself through God's eyes and find my identity and who God declares me to be. So notice we're gonna put back up that thing I said about the identity earlier, what envy does. I seek to find my identity and my desired gifting comparing myself with others rather than rejoicing in who God created and declares me to be in Christ. So here's our homework this week. You're going to have a number of verses in our devotions to meditate on who you are in Christ, who God has declared you to be. You are like the prophet Jeremiah who God says, before you were created, I already had a call for you. I already knew who you were. I was knitting you together. You were my called person. Whatever your call or mine is. So we have to put this into practice, and this week is only a beginning of it. If you find envy, if you find discontentment, the, the very first thing to do is to go back and meditate that before I was born, God had all my days planned out in a book. Before I was born, he knit me together in my mother's womb with all of my skills and the things that I cannot do. See, I can appreciate, when I go out and look at the mural that Chevelle painted out there, but let me tell you something. If I went out there and painted that, I do not have that bent. It is not there. There is nothing artistic like that in me and I'm not just saying that out of humility I have tried and it is bad okay and it goes all I remember when I was a kid one time I came out of class and everybody was asked to paint a painting and I wrote the ABC's out and then came out all sad because like the teacher wasn't real happy with me but that was about as artistic as I could get right the ABC's right I don't don't have that gift that's not the way I was wired together in my mother's womb but God for his glory and my good knit me together a particular way, with certain gifts and without gifts. And I need to meditate and embrace that. Second, we are to express gratitude. Not only do I have to cultivate contentment, I have to express gratitude. I need to express gratitude for all that God has given me. Envy focuses on what I do not have. 
Gratitude focuses on what I do have and what God has given me. Envy focuses on what I am not. Gratitude focuses on who I am in Christ. They are polar opposites of one another. If I know who I am in Christ, I should be overflowing with gratitude for who I am, for what God has given to me, for all of his great gifts to me in Jesus Christ. And so I express that. There's an old country song, you know, what goes without saying should be said. Okay? If you're grateful, express it with your lips. Prayer every day ought to include gratitude to God for who we are and what we have been given. Friends, we got all kinds of things, but we are taught, see this whole culture, the marketing culture that I'm, I'm gonna keep bringing up with all these sins, the entire marketing culture in which you exist is pointing out to you what you don't have. And it leeches into your bones and into mine. And it's all about you can't be satisfied, you can't be content because look at what you don't have. Now look at what you do have. You have everything you need in Christ Jesus. And we should be giving gratitude to God for that. If I know who I am in Christ, let it overflow. And there should also be gratitude for what God has given to others. This is where we're really going to start laying the ax to gratitude. It's not just about what God has given me. Envy resents what God has given to others. Gratitude is thankful for what God has given to others because I realize it's the hand of God at work. That guy may be a buffoon over there, but he writes great music. And glory to God, when he writes that, my soul overflows. Again, in Amadeus, you can see every time Salieri hears Mozart's music, he can even see it on the page and imagine it, and he starts tearing up. It is so beautiful. But then Envy comes in and says, but you ought to be able to write that music. See, gratitude says it doesn't matter whether I did or someone else did. God is expressing his glory and his beauty, and I am grateful for that. The world is full of the grandeur of God, and my gratitude is grateful no matter who is expressing that. Envy sees the gifts of others as something that diminishes me. Gratitude sees every gift as a way that God is working to build his kingdom and benefit me. That, that other person having that gift does not diminish me. I, I'm a beneficiary of it, but only if I see it with gratitude. So I'm grateful for what God has done for others. Now, the practice is to actually express gratitude and giving thanks to God and others. So I begin by gratitude in the heart that leads to thanksgiving in the mouth. If gratitude is only in your heart and it doesn't come out of your mouth, that gratitude is going to die. It needs the oxygen of your mouth being open and expressing it. And we begin by thanking God for who I am in Christ, that meditation that I did, and for all of the gifts and callings he's given me. God, I am grateful you called me to be this and you've given me that gift. I'm grateful for being a husband and a father and being pastor of this congregation and all these different things that God has done. I express that gratitude. But then I move on to thank God for the gifts and callings he's given to others. Boy, you want to lay the ax to the root of envy? The very person that the enemy is whispering in your ear to be envious of starts saying, God, I am so grateful that that guy can write music that way. 
that that guy can preach the word of God that way. That that woman, Lord, that she is so attractive and beautiful, that she has so many gifts, she is so good socially. God, I thank you for that gift in her, in him. Boy, if you do that out of your heart, you will hear the axe chopping envy away, soil being re-fertilized and changed as we actually do that. And it, it's so helpful, especially to go to that person. Boy, this will cut envy and pride. To go to that person and directly express to them, when you do that, I am so grateful that God uses you for that. For you will feel that pride and that envy just dying inside. Third practice, and we'll close. Demonstrate love for the other person. Envy is the opposite of love for the other person. Aquinas actually said that's what envy was. The opposing virtue that Aquinas picked was actually love for the person because you are wishing their harm. Love desires to build up the other person while envy is wanting to tear them down. Love desires to give and bless the other person. Envy desires to rob them of what they've been given. So Rebecca DeYoung, who again, she's the uh, philosopher and teacher at Calvin College that wrote the book that got me started thinking about this a couple of years ago. Rebecca DeYoung said this, the commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself, but the envier can do neither. You can't love yourself because I'm not what I want to be. And you can't love the other person because they are what you're wanting to be. So you can't fulfill what Jesus said is the second greatest commandment. And let me tell you something, if envy's rotten away, I can't fill the first one either. Because I can't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because the whole time I'm thinking, but you didn't make me who I wanted to be and you made them. We, we can't fulfill the great commands to love God and love neighbor if we're giving in to envy. And to demonstrate it, we demonstrate love by speaking and doing things for them. Love acts, always. Remember when we looked last year at this time, we were looking at the seven churches, and Jesus told the church in Ephesus that, you know, you've left your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen and do the things you did at first. He didn't say, start feeling this towards your brothers and sisters. Do what you used to do. So we do the deeds of love. Rather than speaking evil of them, we speak well of them to their face and others. Again, you want to see envy die? The people you were whispering to before and saying, they just think they're all of that. But you know, I got a, I got a problem with the way they do this. Now we start to say, man, can you see how God's working in that person and using them? You will hear chop, chop, chop on the root of envy. And you express gratitude to them for who they are, the gifts they have, something they've done. That is doing love to them, building them up. Because the sad thing sometimes with the envy, you remember I, I said a couple of weeks ago that most people don't realize it, but the seven characters on Gilligan's Island all were related to the seven deadly sins. That was what the, he kind of used as a character for them. And you remember Mary Ann was envy. She envied Ginger. But as I said, the funny thing is, when they've asked guys in survey after survey after survey, guys have consistently said, oh, I liked Mary Ann better than Ginger anyway. But that's what envy does. Envy can't see that. Envy never does. 
because it's always wanting to be somebody else. Instead of being the, the wonderful woman she was, Mary Ann's wanting to be the starlet that Ginger was. And we can't ever find satisfaction if we do that. The key is then for us to go and express to that person, I am grateful for who God made you to be, and I'm satisfied with who God made me to be. So what we're going to do today, we're going to stand up and we're going to close in prayer. And I want to encourage you, as we're doing so, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Is envy taking root in your heart? And as I'm leading us in prayer, if there is someone that you are aware of, I'm, I'm envious of that person. Then let's confess that and ask God this week ways that you can do these things, expressing gratitude, demonstrating love as you are meditating on who you are in Christ. Father, we are humbled as we go through and look at these vices to realize how often our love is ordered in a wrong way. Lord, you are the most beautiful, glorious, inspiring being in the entire universe. And yet we keep turning our eyes to other things. Father, full of wisdom, full of grace and mercy and love, you carefully knit us together in our mother's womb with certain gifts and callings, but, Father, also certain things that we don't have because you are calling us to community where we are always dependent on someone else. But, Lord, we confess this morning we often find that difficult. We find it easier to focus on who we are not than who we are. We find it easier to cast our gaze on that which we do not have rather than that which you have so amply blessed us with. So Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us this week. Lord, as we meditate on who we are in Jesus Christ, would you work down and rework that soil in our heart? The soil that is so often fouled and feeds the roots of these vices. Lord, would you change it and turn it? Would you fertilize it by your spirit with your love so that it begins to feed virtue rather than vice? Lord, I pray when the enemy would come and speak to us to try and make us discontented with what you have given to us, I pray that gratitude would well up in our hearts. And when he comes and tries to get us to seek our identity in something other than you, Lord, would you open our eyes to see the foulness of his work. Father, would you remind us how that will only rot away our very bones, how it will eat away our soul. Father, as we meditate on who we are in Christ, would you give us eyes to see that? And would we be full of gratitude and contentment? And Father, would we have such overflowing love, love like you have within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, always giving, always casting your gaze appreciatively on the other. Father, would you give us that kind of love so that rather than envying the other person, 
We can be grateful for how you are working through them. We can receive it with gratitude to you and offer thanks to them. And Father, that we could even express love and in our actions towards them. Father, we don't want to be like Saul, threatened, fearful, envious of what you're doing in someone else. Lord, we want to be like Jonathan and be able to rejoice in your gifts. And ultimately, Lord, we want to be like Jesus, who in the garden looked at his calling, at the cup in front of him, said, oh, Father, if there's any way you could take this away, but not what I will, but what you will. Because, Father, ultimately what you will is always, always, always for your glory and for our good. Holy Spirit, work this in us as your people this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you now to receive the blessing of God. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.